So let's start here. Good dads fear God. Good dads obey God. Good dads trust God. And from that obedience, they allow their children to experience the gospel. They allow their children to experience the gospel. When dads are obedient to God, when dads fear God, when dads trust God, their children get to experience the gospel. So my daughter the other day, we were on the road, we were going to the Rainforest Cafe, because that's one of our favorite spots. They took the aquariums out. I wept a little, but I still ate. But she asked me a question when she was in the back seat. And you know when your kids ask you those questions out of nowhere in the back, and you're like, man, do I, I got to answer this on 95? She said, Dad, who's your dad? Who is your dad? I said, oh, man, here we go. I just want to go to Rainforest Cafe. I'm going to have to answer this question. And she's actually, she's, she's young. She's only six, so she's, only, she's met my dad twice, but she might have forgot. So the thing she was noticing was my dad wasn't part of our life. And she probably sees Natalie's father, Joe Vec, is part of our life. So she said, who's your dad? Because she's starting to make all these connections. Like, this is your sister? That's your brother? That's your aunt? Like, you know when kids start to put all those relationships together? She's like, hold on, something's missing here. Where's your dad? And so I kind of said, my dad, and got silent for about two minutes as I thought about how I answered the question. And the thing I said to her was, I realized in her life, now I'm not a perfect dad, I need God's grace, I'm growing every day, but one of the priority in my, priorities in my life is to be a good dad. Like that's one of the priorities, my main objectives in this life. And so she's got a dad who's doing his best to be a good dad, so she has a good dad by God's grace. And so in her mind, in her world, all dads are like that. So every dad has a movie night. Every dad's all out to school events. Every dad's out playing soccer and basketball. Every dad's, in her mind, dad, that's what dads do. And I realized I had to tell her, and this is the best way I could explain to her. I said, Kira, my dad wasn't a good dad. I didn't say in a bad way, but I need to understand her context. My dad wasn't a good dad. He, you know how I'm around for you in this way, and I love you, and I care for you in this way? My dad wasn't there for that kind of stuff. He wasn't. He took off. He didn't provide for us. And I said it all kind of in a six-year-old world. And it made sense to her. She said, okay, I get it. I get it. But I think for the first time she realized that every dad wasn't a good dad. Every dad wasn't a gospel-centered dad. Every dad wasn't trying to lay down their life for their children. The thing is, with Restoration Road, I want us to be known as a church that has fantastic dads. A church that... We are top-notch dads. It's a priority in our life to love our children and lead our children to the gospel. I want of all our children to say, my dad's a good dad. And some of us, everyone's saying, man, I haven't been a great dad. None of us are perfect dads. But by the gospel of grace, some of us can start growing today even more in our fatherhood. Some of us can forgive ourselves for not being fantastic fathers and move forward and being better dads. But by the gospel and according to the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I don't want anyone to hear condemnation today, but I want you to be encouraged that one of the highest callings of a man in a family, when he has a family and has children, is to be a great dad. A great dad. I'm going to read to you one of the most controversial texts in the whole, all of Scripture, the story of Abraham and Isaac. Okay? And so if you could just read up here, and I'll read it, Genesis 22, 1 through 18. He said, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, 
your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to this young man, to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For, for I now know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the possess the gate of his enemies. And if your offspring shall, and in your offspring, sorry, I'm reading 522 verses, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. I think it's important to read the word of God out to his people actually commanded to do that, to know these stories, to have them in our veins, to have them in our hearts, to have them on our minds. Now, this might seem like the craziest story you ever heard in the Bible. There is no story that I get asked more about from dads. Like, I'm trying to get dads to follow Jesus, and I'm like, come follow Jesus. Like, what's up with Abraham and Isaac? Like, why is God asking Abraham to sacrifice his son? And I want you to learn today, because I learned some things in study this week that I never knew. Now, I knew a lot of the story, but you're going to learn some things today that are going to open up your mind and open up your heart to understand this story more. The reason, let's start here. The reason God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac was to test him. Hear that first. We will have times with your dad or not a dad where God will test your heart to make sure you fear him and him alone. It would have been a temptation for Abraham to idolize his son Isaac over fearing and worshiping God. You worship what you fear. Hear me right now. Whatever you fear, you will worship it. If you fear that you're going to be broke and lose money, you will live your life serving 
money. If you fear people and their opinion of you, you will live your life creating a reputation so people like you. If you fear losing your children above loving and fearing and worship God, you will serve your children as the ultimate instead of serving God as the ultimate and receiving your kids as gifts and leading them to worship God in the same. You guys hear me? All good things can become idols and objects of worship and come the ultimate above God. The thing is, we cannot allow created things or gifts from God become the ultimate. God becomes the ultimate and we thank him for our children and those gifts. There was a time in my life now, what Abraham is asking, before I say that, is he more, does he fear and revere and honor God more than he's afraid of losing his child? That's the big test right there. There was a time in my life when I first had kids, I wasn't ready for the worry that would come with it. Do you understand me? I wanted to put these kids in a bubble. I didn't want them out of the house. Everyone's in the house again today. Everyone in. I just didn't want them out of the house. I was so afraid, like, I'm overprotective, but I was at another level. It's taking the crown. And I wake up in the morning, and I was just so, it would paralyze me, the fear of losing my children or the fear of something happening to my children. Right? This was just my experience. What happened was I began to serve that fear and allow that fear to determine my attitude, my approach to the day, and how everything did, instead of fearing God and, and trusting him with my children. Trusting him to protect my children, that's something I pray every day of my life, protect my family, protect my children. But also trusting him that if anything tragic happened, his purpose would be worked out, and this life is just a vapor, and I will see my children again in paradise. You have to come to that realization. So I'm not promising any of us, we live in a broken world. It's dangerous. Things can happen. But in the same way, we serve a perfect Savior, even when things get broken, they promise to be restored when all is said and done. Amen? So, Abraham's this choice. And Abraham, more than others, could have been tempted to worship Isaac. The brother was 100 years old when he had Isaac. If you're still reproducing at that age, God bless you. You know, I plan to be retired on a beach somewhere. If I make it, I'm trying to take my vitamin D. You know what I mean? He was promised that his descendants would be more than the stars, more than the sands on the seashore. He was promised the most important thing, that Jesus would come from his line, the Savior would come from his descendants. He's like a hundred and saying, I don't have an heir. Is this really going to happen? Is this promise really going to happen? Sarah's 90, okay? You're still not thinking about, man, I want to have a few kids at 90. Okay, that's not exactly your plans. God says, you know what, Abraham? You know what, Sarah? I'm going to bless you with the son who's going to carry on the line. I'm going to bless you with the son. She laughs. <laughs> Imagine God tells you something, you laugh. Isaac's name means he laughs. Isaac's ma name means laughter. Like, this is too funny. Come on, God. I'm, a, I'm 100. My wife's 90. We're going to have a kid. They have this kid. His name is laughter, just to make the story better. His temptation at 100 years old is this is the heir. This is the one you promised me. I will guard him. I will worship him. He's everything to me. My world revolves around him instead of around God. So God sends a test to Abraham. He says, Abraham, 
I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice. And we'll answer a lot of questions as I go through the points. Why is there even sacrificial system? All these things. But I want you to hear this. God was testing Abraham's heart to make sure he feared God and he trusted God. And I want you to see Abraham's response because all dads we can learn from this today. Abraham trusted God and he said, Isaac, get ready. We're going on a journey. Now, what a lot of people don't realize when we picture this story, we picture Isaac, at least I do, as a lot younger than he possibly was. Most these theologians, most historians believe Isaac was anywhere from his late teens to 37 years old. Okay? No one says he was under 12 years old. No one says he was under 12 years old. When they say boy in here, that's the word lad in Hebrew. You see that used for Joseph when he was 30 years old in Egypt. So that lad, that word in Hebrew, can use for anyone into their 30s. You know, when you're 120 years old, a guy who's 30, a guy who's 20 is a lad. So he gets Isaac ready. And we see this too, because what happened with Isaac? He left his mother for three days. You don't send toddlers away for three days without their moms. How many dads been left alone with the kids for a few days? You know? I don't even know what to feed them. That's right. I'm like, you want more uh, Cheerios? I don't even know. Like, I'm good for a shot run, but I need some help after a few days. Three days journey. We see that he's a little old. He can go with the dad and he can make a three-day journey on his dad with a donkey. Hardcore. Then his dad says, you carry the wood up the mountain. You are not throwing wood on the toddler's back. This was huge wood, a bunch of wood, a decent amount that they'd throw on the altar for the burnt offering. You're not throwing that on a boy's back. You're throwing that on a young man's back because he's carrying the load for his father up the mountain. So I need you to help see the picture a little bit better. The biggest question someone would ask is, why would Abraham be willing to offer his son if God told him? I want you to hear this. First, he feared God. Second, he trusted God. And I got an answer to this story that I'd never seen before, and I want you guys to read this scripture. It actually said the reason that Abraham was willing to offer up his son Isaac is because he believed that even if he offered up his son Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Did you guys ever hear that as part of the story? Let's jump there because I learned to pebble myself this week. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19. This blew my mind. I've been a pastor for a while. I've been teaching a while, but I never saw this in scripture. It's telling all the stories about the men of faith, and it says this. It said, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham, even when he went to offer Isaac, said, God is going to do something miraculous here. I don't know, but I trust God. He said, Isaac is going to continue the generations. I was a 100 years old when I had him, so I know he's promised. I have faith in God that he has a plan. I don't know what's going to happen. I think he's going to raise him from the dead if he wants me to sacrifice him. That's faith. That's trust. That's fear of God. And that opens up the story for you that Abraham's not a bad dad. He's just a dad that fully believed his God was love, his God had a plan, he feared him, he loved him, and he trusted him. That changes the game right there. Good dads fear God enough and trust God enough, so when the test comes, they obey God and their kids receive the reward. You know that faith, you don't know what's going to happen? 
People ask me all the time, well, if I make this decision, what's going to happen? You're going to have to trust God. That's what faith is. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. When you obey God, when you walk in righteousness, when you make tough decisions that don't make any sense, God will reward you on the other end. Dads, obey God first and your kids will be rewarded. There's three times in my life as a dad, I felt like God was calling me to something that needed faith and I received the reward on the other end. The first one, and I want you to be encouraged this because you might have some things going on in your own life God's telling you to do and you're scared to do it and he's telling you to obey because there's a reward on the other end. I got laid off from work a week before my first daughter was born. Happy, happy. Welcome anxiety tax. I lived in the basement of Joe Vex's house. You know, we, me and Natalie had a joke back then when the MTV Cribs was big. Like I had to come in with a video camera. It was like, the, the thing was like this big. And I was like, come on, this is my crib. This is where we do it. This is the boiler right here. This is my bed. You know, like, we had, like, we were living in a basement apartment, right? And I get laid off from work a week before my first child's going to enter the world. That week, I felt God speak, speak to my heart that I was supposed to start my own electrical business. And I said, Natalie, I'm supposed to start my own electrical business. I told other guys, everyone was like, are you out of your mind? You have no customers. You don't have a truck. You don't know what you're doing. I didn't. I had no idea what I was doing. I just said, God's calling me to do it. And I was afraid not to listen. You ever feel God calling you something? Like your fear that you would disobey God outweighed your fear of anything else. That's what really needs to happen. I was so afraid. Like, oh my goodness. Like Natalie would say, you sure you're supposed to do this? I said, Natalie, I have to do this because I'm so scared if I don't. And that's only happened a few times in my life. I'm not saying this is every day, every week thing. I said, I fear God and not listening more than that. Do you know that I had my own electrical business 11 years, word of mouth, and God provided for my family that way. And I learned key things for church planning. Like I needed to go through those years in business to know how to plan a church, to know how to be on call 24-7, to know how to be doing emails at 10.30. Like I needed all that kind of stuff. It created and shaped in me a character that I needed to help plant this church. Do you know what I mean? But to the, there was one guy said to me, Joe, you can't do this. I said, I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm called to do this and God will provide. The reward is I was able to provide for my family. I was able to have time for my family. And I saw, I learned to trust in God in ways I never would have learned to trust in God. When you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from and God over and over and over again pays, you learn to trust your father. It's unbelievable stuff. I encourage dads and everyone else in here, when God speaks to you, do it. The second thing is, once again, unique, not an everyday thing. I felt called to buy a house with no money in the bank. No money. I said, we're supposed to buy a house. Just started the business a year before. Do you know I've never been late on a mortgage payment? Never. Now, I'm not saying don't do that if God doesn't speak for you to do it. Everyone's like, man, I'm buying a house. I knew it. Tonight. I'm not saying I knew through my prayer time. It was, it was an act of faith. I knew it wasn't logical. So when I was doing this, I said, this makes no sense. But I know God's calling me to do it. You know my family loves that home. I want to make it bigger. I want to move up. And the girls are like, no, we ain't going nowhere. But God rewarded that kind of faith. And finally, I was called to plant this church. 
What are you talking about? Some people are like, Joe, you can't play in the church. You can't even be a pastor. I said, you guys don't understand. God's calling me to do this. You know the, the rewards that my children get? They love this church. It is their favorite church in history. They look forward to church so much on Sunday, you wouldn't believe. And they say to me, I remember when the church was growing and Tally came up to me and I could see that her little young heart and mind was trying to grasp faith because she knew it was faith to try to plant a church. And he said, wow, Dada, church is really growing. And I said, yeah, it is. And I said to myself, thank you, God, for showing my daughter that faith is rewarded when we obey God. Do you understand what I'm saying? When your children see the faith of their father and that God provides on their behalf, they begin to trust in that same God. That's so important to see that. Here are three lessons I want you dads to hear that we can learn from Abraham in obedience among many. The first is model holiness for your children. Model holiness. And some of you will be future dads. Some of you can teach other dads if you're even not a dad. Some of you will be father of the fatherless and you will adopt um, spiritual sons and daughters to care for them as a spiritual dad. The first thing is model holiness. If there is unrepentant sin in your life and your children see that you're not repenting of that sin, how dare you tell them not to walk in sin? It's like that dad, don't smoke, it's horrible for you. You can't do that. If there's areas that you are practicing disobedience to God, because it's written in the scriptures, and you're sinning outrightly, you need to repent and model to your kids that obedience to God is far above any person, possession, or thing. Because if it's not really you, it's going to be very hard for them to be real to them. Do you guys hear me? Second, we see with Abraham. See, Abraham modeled obedience and holiness to his son. Secondly, Train your kids in the way of the Lord. What scares me about this culture is far more dads are more excited about teaching the kids how to throw the perfect spiral or hit the perfect jumper instead of training them to know the gospel. You guys hear me? If the thing you're most... Listen, work on his jumper. Work on that. That is not the ultimate. There are a lot of kids that can shoot jumpers but don't know or fear God are not, not lights in this world. The most important thing you will teach your child is the gospel of Jesus Christ. To train them in the ways of worship. See, when Abraham said to Isaac, Isaac, come with me, Isaac knew how to worship. He knew they needed wood. He knew they needed a knife. He knew they needed to fight. He knew a burnt offering because he knew how serious sin was. And he knew that God, a holy God, had provided atonement. He knew how to worship because he had worshiped with his dad all through his life. All through his life. We need to train our kids on how to worship. That means having them in the household of God above everything. That means teaching them the scriptures and loving the gospel and loving their neighbor and living for the advancement of God. It's so important. You are the biggest influence on your children's life, dads and parents. The biggest influence on your children's life to train them in worship. Finally, the most important thing you ever teach your kid is the gospel, like I said. And this gets to the answer of this, because some people ask this question. What is up with all this burnt offering and sacrifice stuff? I ain't seen no burning animals lately. What's going on? This is the, one of the most important, and I talked about it three to five times this year, but I'm going to keep talking about it. I talked to a man who grew up in a Baptist church about two weeks ago, 
And he never heard about substitutionary atonement. Therefore, he could never even understand the gospel. You have to understand this first. God is so holy that we can't even fathom it. Holy beyond measure. There is no evil in him. None at all. We are sinful beyond measure. To the point we don't even understand our sinfulness because we relate our sinfulness to other people. Like I told you before, it's one trash can compared to another trash can. Well, I'm not dripping out the side. We don't even understand the extent of how sinfulness that we, how sinful we are. Like David said, Lord, show me the, forgive me for the sins I don't even know I'm committing. God is so holy and we are so sinful that he has to institute a system that we can come and worship him. So he chooses a people, the people of Israel, Abraham, which name, his name means father of many, will be the father of the Hebrew nation where Jesus would come out of, out of. He institutes this system so that sinful, disgusting people can worship a perfectly holy God. And the only way to do that is that a price is paid for the sin that we commit. Someone, God would not be perfectly holy. He would not be God if he didn't punish sin. Do you guys understand? You can't be a perfect being if you let people sin and mistreat people and treat him wrong. If you say, oh, no big deal, let it go. You are not God. You are not just. You are not perfect. There is no justice. His perfect love demands perfect justice. Therefore, he has to punish sin in order for us to worship him and be in relationship with him. So he institutes a system where the animals, the lambs, the goats, the bulls, the cows, can take the place of his people. And the wages of sin are death, so they their blood is shed. One thing that's saying is, Lord, we recognize that we are sinners. And two, we recognize that you are holy, so we're not taking that lightly. So they would sacrifice regularly, and the burnt offering was the most calming offering. So that was like a personal offering. If you were working through something, if you had sinned against God, let's go make a burnt offering before God to clear my conscience, to take away the guilt because I knew a sacrifice had to be given. So the people would sacrifice lambs. And as we see the goats in here and, and bulls, there would be yearly things and weekly things where they knew the seriousness of, of their sin and they knew the holiness of God. And now it's always been the practice of the people of God. Now, does that sound familiar to anyone when it comes to the gospel? What happened in the gospel? What do they call Jesus? The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus became the final sacrifice, substituting for you and me. He took our place. It says the wrath of God the Father was upon God the Son for the sins that you and me committed so that we could be in relationship with God. That's why we worship Jesus as the Lamb of God. That's why he's that magnificent, because we realize magnificent. We realize the seriousness of our sin, and we realize the holiness of God, and how loving he was to do what Abraham did not have to do. Abraham did not have to sacrifice his only son. God the Father sacrificed his only son. For you and for me, he allowed the perfect one second person of the Trinity, to take on flesh, be ridiculed, persecuted, whipped, flogged, broken, rejected, and murdered so that we could know God. He became our substitute. Just like Abraham did not have to sacrifice his son because the angel of the Lord cried out 
No, don't do it. I provided the substitute. And the goat came and they sacrificed the goat in his place. We should cry out, thank you, Jesus, for coming for us. Because you took my place. Because we all deserve hell and punishment. Because we're all filthy sinners. But we get heaven and grace and family and get to be dads because of Jesus. Do you guys hear how powerful that is? Yeah, I thought it was an amen in there somewhere. It's just so powerful and it's so logical and faith comes that they call this, theologians call this, this is foreshadowing of Jesus. This is getting us ready for Jesus. This is the type of Christ. When you look at the story of Abraham, you're ready for the Son of God to come and die for your sins. And the fact that Abraham was obedient, Isaac got to see the gospel firsthand. He saw that he was about to be punished for sins. Isaac is laying there under the knife and ready to be burnt. Right? And all of a sudden, God provides a substitute. So his child benefits from the obedience of his father. The obedience of his father. And he realized that God is always going to provide. And that place is called the place that God provides. So I want you dads to see that story of Abraham and Isaac and see Jesus in it. And see that the most important thing we do as dads is trust the gospel, obey God, trust Jesus, and teach our kids the gospel. Now, some of us might feel condemned as dads. I want you to hear this from me. None of us are perfect dads, and I've said this, but I want you to hear this. But today we can start with the truth of the gospel and become better dads by the grace of God. That's so important. You know the only difference between me and my father? He left in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd be a scumbag too. I'd be a scumbag too. I know how selfish I was. And you know, I don't care. There's a lot of dads with good intentions. I'm going to be the best dad in the world. Their life story doesn't say that. The only reason I was able to be a good dad to my children is because God got a hold of my life. I'm not better than my father. It's just the gospel rang true in my heart and changed the way I thought about everything, starting with prioritizing as being a dad. So dad, you're forgiven. You're loved. Grow from here. There's things you heard today that you've got to train your kids better. There's things you've got to repent of. There's ways in which you have to grow. Do that according to the grace of God because you can't do it by your own strength. But if you trust the grace of God, if you fear God, if you repent and turn to him, he will reward you in your life. And finally, the gospel assignment. Everyone who's not a dad has the week off. you got a homework pass this week. If you're a dad, I want you to sit down with your children this week. I don't care if they're 20, 30 years old. I want you to make sure that they understand the gospel of Jesus Christ this week. Even if you think they know it, I want you to ask them questions. Because you must know the gospel first to teach your kids the gospel. I want you to take, it's a family meeting. I want a few dads to call family meetings this week and talk about what the gospel is with your children. Make sure they know that gospel inside and out because that's the most important thing you would do as a dad. Amen?